start off with this. Some of you, or maybe all of you, have seen this floating around the internet. A blog article, blog article uh, the other day, other day. This is a quote from this article that's referencing this picture. This picture. Actually, saying, saying this, this image that's supposed to communicate justice, equity, equity versus equality, equality. This person is saying that it's imagine if you will, if you will, people, all the same size, size. The ground beneath them slopes, buckling beneath. about creation what you see is God creating human human beings um, to to rule over his created world but he's he's created them equal 
all human beings with the image of God equally ruling, right? It's really important to begin with that, uh, to think about that in terms of um, dignifying a human being as a full person. If you want to try to ask the question, what makes a person a person? What makes a person, right? The problem with defaulting to emotions and reason, you know, I don't know about you, but many times growing up in elementary school, middle school, whatever, I've heard that the difference between human beings and animals is that human beings can reason, right? And reason's very important, but here's the thing. Reason can be taken away through a physiological, like through a, through a collision or accident or a tragedy. A human being's capacity to reason can be taken away. Um, a person can become irrational. Well, not become. We, we already are irrational beings, but that can take dominance over a person's life. Same thing with emotion. You, you have animals who, who display emotion. And also human beings who have emotions can lose their, their ability to emote and to empathize, right? So if you place the definition of what makes someone a full person, a whole person, on reason or emotion, the problem is that once reason is gone, and once emotion is gone, you've taken away the hum the humanity of that person of that person. You've taken away the personhood of whoever you're talking about. And that's why you we have to go to something greater. We have to go to something more eternal. Um, we have to go to something more excellent than reason or emotion to define what a person is. And that's why we have to come back to the image of God. The image of God dignifies each person as a whole, full person, right? And we're going to talk about this, um, and that's just one point of the sermon. But let's begin when you when we read through Genesis, when we just read through Genesis one. When we think through this, let's begin. Uh, well, before I tell you what we begin with, let me tell you the three things I want to hit. Number one. I want, to, I want to pay some attention to the language of kinds in Genesis 1, the language of kinds, right? Um, secondly, I want to draw your attention to the role of image. What role does image play in Genesis 1 in creation? And thirdly, the example of sexes, right? The example of sexes, the example of male and female. So let's begin with the first one, the language of kinds. Now, the language of kinds doesn't come into, isn't, isn't, you don't read the language of kinds in Genesis 1 until day 3 when it talks about vegetation. So day 1, 2, and 3, um, God created the light and the dark. He created the waters above, the waters beneath, and the expanse in between, or the heavens or the sky, right? Day 3, God created the dry land and the earth right, and the seas. And on that same day, God also created vegetation on the earth, uh, on the world. And the thing is, the language of kinds comes in 
with the vegetation. So what we see in day one, two, and three, the light dark, the waters above, the waters below, and the heavens, the expanse, and then day three, the dry land, the earth, and seas, what we see is the world, okay? The world, there is no language of kinds when it comes to the world. It's just one thing. So there's there's an emphasis, there's a communication of unity there, just in the act of God creating creation, right? There's a there's a there's a, a communicational tone of unity in the first three days of creation, and then uh, beginning with day three with vegetation all the way to day six, right? So day three vegetation, day four heavenly lights, right? Signs, seasons, and days and years, right? The sun, moon, and stars. Day five, sea creatures, birds, right? Day six, land creatures, uh, creeping things on the ground and humanity male and female when it comes from when it when it comes to the creation of vegetation all the way to humanity the language of kinds comes into it right well right before humanity so all the way up to the land creatures and the ground keep uh, ground creepers right you have the language of kinds there and what that's communicating just as the first a three days of creation communicated a language, a, communicated a tone of unity, right? When it comes to the world, everything in the world, when it comes to communicating everything in the world, there's, there's a tone of diversity, right? So already the language of kinds in its absence and in its presence is already communicating something very profound that there is oneness, and there is diversity from the beginning. From the beginning. From the beginning, right? Last week, we, we, we considered the Trinity, right? And that's who God is. God is a triune God. It's a question of who he is. And even in the Trinity, we saw the importance of unity and diversity. And anytime one was uh, prioritized over the other, we saw Trinitarian errors come through. Right. The same thing is true, not only in who God is as a triune God, but in what God does as a God, as a creating God, as a God of creation. Right. Unity and diversity are inherently there, not only in who God is, but in what God does. Right. Now, the term kind. It assumes an emphasis on distinctions, right? That there are distinct, unique uh, varieties, right? Diversities, right? Each according to its kind. It comes up again and again, right? Throughout the first chapter. But what's interesting is that when God is, is communicating through Moses, who wrote this book, a tone of diversity, right? He is, there is, there is a noticeable lack of superiority or inferiority in this tone, in this tone of kinds, in this language of kinds, right? Everything is good, right? Every time God created something to fill the earth with, whether it's vegetation, sea creatures, land creatures, flying creatures, creeping things, right? There is no superiority or inferiority. Everything 
is equally good. That is profound. And we we just kind of read through this, right? We kind of read through this growing up. If you read through Genesis round one, right? We just read through it and we're like, yeah, God, yeah, God's good with that. God's good with this, right? He's good with the plants. He's good with the animals. Yay, you know? Now let's color in a worksheet, right? But the thing is, it's it speaks directly, it feeds into how we should think about race today. It's incredible the 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 profound message that it communicates. It dignifies every human being as being a whole person that is equal, that has equal worth, that has equal uh, beauty and value before the eyes of God. And it's there from the beginning. It's not a result of the fall. This kind of diversity doesn't come as a result of sin. It's a result of who God is as a triune God existing before time and space. And it comes out. It's part of the DNA of God's creative work. It comes out in how he made the universe. That it is all, all the kinds, all the diversities of what he created is good. They are all equally good. And it's it's tremendous what that what that communicates to us today when it comes to the racial tension that we are experiencing. Another thing, this is really interesting. Another thing is that the language of kinds is used for vegetation, it's used for sea, land, and air and, and sky creatures, it's used for creeping things. But the language of kinds is not used in reference to human beings. Okay? The language of kinds is not used in reference to man, to humanity, to Adam and Eve. And there are some in the past who have used this term, kinds, to justify racism. To justify making one group of people superior over another group of people and, ma and making that group inferior. What's interesting, again, is that this language of kinds, kind, is never used in reference to human beings. And yet people in the past have used this, this Genesis 1 language of kinds to justify how people need to be separate from each other that a certain group of people need to be separate from another group of people because God created creation according to its kinds. And it's misapplied and it's misreferenced because the language of kinds, if you read through Genesis 1 carefully, is never applied to humanity. Rather, the unity of humanity, the unity of the human race, is emphasized in Genesis 1. Some have used this term to justify racism, but they've overlooked the passage. They haven't carefully considered, or maybe they don't really care about the passage, right? But Genesis 1 is very clear. The, the term, according to its kind, according to their kinds, is used for all, everything that fills the earth, except for human beings. Okay, now, the fact that Genesis 1 emphasizes the unity of human beings is not an argument 
to minimize and to dismiss the differences between people groups, okay? But it's meant, the reason why Genesis 1 is doing this, it's meant to emphasize and communicate two things about the, un, about the unitedness, about the unity of the human race. Number one, the human race, every member of the human race is a unique, special creation of God, different from plants, different from animals. Every member of the human race is a unique, special creation of God. That's the first thing. The second thing that Genesis 1 is communicating about the unity of the human race is that every human being, okay, every human being who has the image of God, right, and that's all human beings, that they are to live for the will of God together, okay? So it's not only who they are, but what they do. So it's not only human beings, the human race is not only united in being a unique, special creation of God that is completely different from animals and from plants, okay? But they are to live their life together for one sole purpose, for God's will to be done, okay? That's why the language of kinds is not used to, um, to human beings. It's to emphasize the purpose and the distinctiveness of the human race, right? Now, we talked about the language of kinds. Let's talk about the role of image. Now, when it comes to thinking about the image of God, the image of God does two things. Number one, it reflects who God is, reflects the triune God, okay? That we exist for God's glory. We are not to reflect something in creation, right? We are not made to reflect something we do or something we are in of ourselves. The fact that God made the human race in his image is not a reflection of humanity. It's not, it's not a reflection of vegetation. It's not a reflection of animals, okay? It's a reflection of the triune God. We are to reflect, we are to show the world who God is, right? How glorious he is, right? The second thing about the role of image is that when the human race being created with the image of God, it communicates our responsibility to rule justly, right? We talked about um, how uh, the... Uh, the unity of the human race, the lack of the use of the word kinds when it comes to human beings, reflects the unity of the human race, not only in who they are, but also in what they do. This is what we're talking about. Being an image bearer of God means that we are to response, we have a responsibility, we have a vocation, a calling to rule justly. This, this is, this is what you're talking about. This is, um, uh, this is what uh, is talked about when it comes to what you do in this world, okay? So in one sense, just because you're, you don't have political power, just because you don't have a status, right, that, you know, 
that the world acknowledges doesn't mean that you uh, lack a responsibility to rule in your life. God has given each of us a sphere of influence, right? He has given us, each of us, a calling, a vocation, and we can, we can rule that well or we can not. We can neglect it or we can engage with it, right? The purpose of the ruling, okay, here's the thing. When it comes to your jobs, when it comes to your family, when it comes to everything, right? The purpose of your ruling is not for just a self-absorbed purpose. It's not just to make yourself happy while the world is burning, okay? The purpose of why you rule, right? When you take care of your car, when you take care of your house, when you take care of your pets, when you take care of your children, when you take care of your spouse, when you take care of your aging parents, when you take care of your neighborhood, the streets, the um, whatever it is, you are ruling, you are exercising your power to rule over that, over that context, right? And when you do that, right, it's not because, it's not so that you can be happy while the world is hurting, it's for the good of creation. That's what Genesis 1, shows us when God gave them dominion, when God gave them uh, the authority to rule over creation, it was for the good of creation, right? It's not only to reflect the triune God in the ruling, but it's also for the good of creation, not to hurt creation, right? Now, this is very important to understand. Not only is the reason, the reason for ruling important, not only why is important, but what? What is it that God has called us to rule? And in Genesis 1, there is a connection between image and dominion. Image and the ruling. The fact that you have that human beings and no other, uh, uh, no other creature has been created with the Im image of God, right? They have been given dominion over creation. They have given been given the authority and the privilege to rule, right? That dominion, if you read Genesis 1 carefully, and I recommend that you go back to it if that helps, the, the, the uh, scope of the authority to rule, the scope of the dominion that God gave his image bearers, the human race to rule is over, now listen carefully, over non-human creation. And you could read that passage again. In that list of what humanity was to rule over, where it says, let them have dominion, right? Look at verse 26. And it says, I'll just read it. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Man is an is a umbrella term for all human beings, for the human race, male or female, right? Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them, right, the reason why I know that let us make man, that term is an umbrella term for the human race, is because of the pronoun that is used in the next sentence, and let them, okay? It's not, and let him, <laughs> right? And let them. That's huge. And we'll come back to that in a second. But 
and let them have dominion over, and now look at this list, it doesn't include any human being. It includes all of creation except for human beings. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Image bearers from the beginning, from Genesis 1 in God's created plan, image bearers had the calling to have dominion over all creation, but not over other image bearers. It's a dominion, it's an authority to rule over non-human creation. And ladies, you can thank me for this now or later. <laughs> that includes women. <laughs> like, this is why when I pointed out, let us make man in our image and let them have dominion. That communicates that from the beginning, before the fall, God's original plan was not for females to be ruled by males, but males and females to rule creation together. You're welcome. <laughs> let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish. Okay? You see that? There is nothing in God's created plan in Genesis 1 that shows that it is, it was part of God's original design to have a human being dominate and rule over another human being. Never. And it was only after the fall, after sin ruined everything, that there was a human being ruling over another human, human being. And the first one that Genesis 3 speaks of is Adam over Eve. But if you look in Genesis 1, it says, let us make man, let us make humanity in our image after our likeness, and let them, male and female. And that's where we come to the third point, the example of sexes, right? And it's really important. But let me just make my point clear before we move on. If we believe Genesis 1, and if we remember the original plan of God in creation, there is no justification for one race of people to subjugate and dominate over another race. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And that goes into work, too. You know, Genesis 2 is about work. In the workforce, in the marketplace, in all of your industries, there is no justification from Scripture for a boss to dominate an employee. Never. But we'll get to that. Let's look at the example of sexes, the last point. God created, when God created the human race, he created them male and female. And what that shows is, again, it shows a unity and a diversity. Both male and female are made in the image of God. It's not only Adam who's an image bearer, both. And you see how that, in the example of sex, 
the example of the sexes, right? That shows that that applies to races as well. That from the beginning, God's plan was to make every human being, no matter their race, to be image bearers, equal image bearers. And this is where that, that first picture I showed of equality and equity, right? That's what's wrong with the picture, is that it, the picture, the way it was designed, I'm, maybe it wasn't intentional, so I'm not blaming the artist or the person who with good intentions tried to communicate something good, but that picture, with all of its good intentions, it's still insufficient. And it's better to go back to scripture and to look at this and see that even that that good picture, right, that I showed you in the beginning of the word, uh, sermon, what it does is by making one person the biggest size of me, and then there's a middle-sized person and the small and a small-sized person, what they're doing is um, unintentionally maybe um, that um, they are unequal image bearers of God. But if you look at Genesis 1, every both male and female are equal image bearers of God. Equal image bearers of God. And what's awesome is that it's not just Adam who rules over creation, but it's Adam and Eve. Both of them are not only equal image bearers of God, but both of them equally rule over creation, over non-human creation. Okay? And both, both Adam and Eve represent all human beings. It's beautiful. And this is why uh, male and female sex in Genesis 1 is an example for race, right? All races are equal image bearers of God. All races have been given equal calling to rule justly over creation. And all races, each race is a representative of all human beings. Okay, so this idea that one race is a better example of what it means to be uh, human or a person, right? That's, you don't find that in Genesis, right? Um, just as you don't find um, uh, one sex being a better representative of human beings than another sex, right? Um, there's also diversity though. So there's unity that's communicated, but there's also diversity. And uh, the, the male, Adam, is the representative head, right? He represents not himself, not his power and the great things that he's done, but he represents the work of God, right? Adam, right, is actually a Hebrew word. It comes from, it, it's, it's linked to the Hebrew word for ground. The Hebrew word for ground is Adama, right? So at so the first male name was Adam, and ground, the Hebrew word for ground means Adama, right? So what that shows is that Adam is a represent he represents not himself. He doesn't represent himself, he doesn't represent the the good things that he's done or the amazing thing that he's done, but Adam represents the amazing, miraculous work of God, right? 
that he was made from the dust of the ground. And that is that communicates not the not how great the dust is, not how great the ground is, but that communicates how great the creator is, right? And female, uh, female, if, if Adam was a representative head of the work of God, then Eve was a helper and literally means help a help meet for him. Now, this does not mean someone inferior. Like the way we understand help we understand it, oh, he's the help or she's the help, right? The way we understand that is that this person is not as important or not as equal, right? But if you look at scripture, the Holy Spirit, who is fully God, and you have to bring back, you have to bring back your understanding of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, who is equally God, is called helper. And that word for help, is not does not show inferiority or or a absence of importance or a or a, a gradation of of importance or significance what that shows okay what that shows is the role that they fulfill the role and the reason why we associate the role or the function that someone fulfills and we equate that with uh, importance. And I love you guys, but and I do this too. The reason why we do that is because we still have a work salvation approach. We have a performance-based approach to understanding our roles and what we do in life. If we're the help and we, we feel inferior or if someone's the help and we treat them when we see them as inferior or not as important not as significant what you've done is you've you've canceled cultured okay you've canceled the work of the cross in that situation for that person or for yourself because you've said you're you are good you are right you have worth because of what you do and you don't have worth because of what you don't do, right? Or you don't, or you could, you know, flip it around. But the Holy Spirit is called the help, helper, and that's not a designation of inferiority, okay? And I want to I I tell you this about Eve, again, as a helper. Literally in Hebrew, it means help meet for him. And that word meet communicates equalness okay a help that is equal to him okay so when you have someone with equal ability equal authority doing a role that is functionally different okay what you have is not someone who's inferior not someone who's weaker okay eve is not the weaker sex the fe females are not the weaker you know, uh, member of of the human race, what you have is someone who completes and someone who um who yeah someone who completes humanity, someone who completes um uh the company, someone who completes the family, right? Um, without that person, it's flawed, it's incomplete. Where do I get this? 
It's not from my head. It's from God's mouth himself. If you look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, everything that God made, he said it was very good. We read through it in Genesis 1. We just read it today. Everything is good, but when it comes to Adam being alone, okay, he says, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it is not good for man to be alone. Okay, it is not good. Everything God said was good. Every of the everything in the six days, everything he made, he said it is very good. It is very good. And then man's alone, and God says, It is not good for man to be alone, right? This is less of a statement about okay, so you have to be in a relationship. It's not about being in a relationship. And if you're if you're single, oh man, then you know. You're, you're flawed, you're incomplete. That's not what that statement's about. It's, it's less of a statement about um, uh, Adam, okay? Yeah, it's in reference to Adam. It says it's not good for man to be alone, but it's more of a statement on who the, the helper is, on who Eve is, that she, she is this... Um, created human being who completes the work of creation. Um, we need, you know, and this feeds into the Me Too movement, the Church Too, mo uh, the Church Too, everything. But in terms of race, we would be incomplete, just homogeneously one race if we just left out the other races we would be incomplete okay we it is not good for a race to be alone right it is not good for man to be alone we need the other races for us to be a fuller picture of what it means to be human what it means to be an image bearer of God. It's a full picture. And without the other, without the other, okay, it is not good. And God is not done. His work is incomplete. I want to leave you with this uh, verse from Acts 17. Okay. Uh, let me share it with you here. I'm going to share my screen. Um,
Desires, desires, desires. 